Welcome to Racing Heart, presented by the National Centre for Sports Cardiology, a podcast that's all about the athlete's most important tool, their heart. Today's podcast, we're talking about the tragic passing of Shane Warne and what it means for uh, heart health, what it means for the everyday person out on the street, what you need to be aware of, what you need to be looking for. And we're very lucky to be joined by Dr. Jessica Orchard and uh, Associate Professor Andre Lagersh. Before we get started into this episode, a quick reminder that the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are general in nature and do not necessarily represent those of our places of work. Information presented in this podcast is not intended to be to address the unique circumstances of each individual. Please do not use this content as a substitute for personal medical assessment. And if this podcast does raise any questions for your own health, please consult your doctor. Thanks for listening in. Well, welcome to Racing Heart, presented by the National Centre for Sports Cardiology. My name's Alice Clements, and I'm pleased today to be joined by Associate Professor Dr. Andre Lagersh and Dr. Jessica Orchard from Sydney. It's great to have you both on board. Pleasure to be here. Thanks, Alex. Thanks very much. Andre, uh, obviously a regular, one of the founding members of the National Centre for Sports Cardiology, a regular appearer on this podcast. Uh, Maybe I might go to you just to give us a little bit of an intro to Jess uh, and talk about what, what kind of work she's doing and where there is an overlap between you two guys. Yeah, so it's, it's great to have Jess here. I've worked with Jess on uh, through Cricket Australia. Um, Jess is a, a, a um, Heart Foundation postdoctoral researcher and um, senior lecturer at the Charles Perkins Centre at the University of Sydney. I've worked with Jess because uh, Cricket Australia have really been off the on the front foot um, in terms of trying to assess cardiovascular health, predominantly in the in the really young athletes, um, but uh, put together a panel of people to to develop policy and and enact um, different screening strategies. And so um, Jess was a, a very um, sort of suitable person to reach out in this tragedy that's happened with Shane Warne, given he, you know, obviously he was a cricketer and everything that's happened. So thanks for joining us, Jess. Thanks for having me. Uh, Australians woke up to the tragic news on Saturday morning that uh, sporting icon hero has passed away from a heart attack. Um, it's since, I guess, unfolded, there's been little pieces of news coming out and out, uh, many, many, many people reaching out and it just shows Shane's influence and uh, effect that he had on so many people and the global reach that Shane Warne had. Jess, what, uh, what, came, what came to your mind on Saturday morning when you woke up to that, that tragic news? Oh, just the reaction of shock. I mean, I think everyone thought Warnie was larger than life. He was tweeting the day before and expecting to sort of go on strong for at least another 20 or 30 years. So just one of absolute shock and real sadness. What a huge loss. So your work with Cricket Australia has um, is obviously been happening for how many years now? And could you maybe give us a bit of a background as to what you've been working on? Yeah, sure, absolutely. I've probably been doing work with Cricket uh, started on the injury surveillance around 2010 and have been working on their cardiac screening program and official policy since around 2015-2016. A lot of sports started really implementing a more formal screening policy for athletes off the back of international recommendations and new data, I guess, um, showing that we're able to sort of more accurately interpret athlete ECGs 
uh, as part of a screening program. So since about then, and we've done a lot of research as well as implementing best practice guidelines and cardiac emergency planning to go with it. And Andre, uh, Warney was a schoolmate. Yeah, so similarly, I woke up on Saturday morning at 5am to take my daughter to swimming and one of my friends from Switzerland had texted me saying, Warney, RIP. And my immediate reaction was, oh, he's got confused with Rod Marsh. And then I looked up the newspaper and was just really in shock. And, and yeah, I went to school with Warney. He had a locker two down from mine and um, I, was, I was an out-and-out little smart-ass at school and used to provoke him to the point where he'd hang me from the locker handle by the back of my underwear and I'd sort of hang about two inches off the ground with absolutely nothing I could do until hopefully a friend had come and lift me off. It even got to the point where I, I'd just stop wearing underwear to school so that I would uh, not be not be sort of hung up in the air. To, it sort of paints a picture of a bully and that's not at all fair because I was an abs- absolute smart ass every single time I sort of deserved it, I think. Um, but, you know, he was a legend at school. He was the captain of cricket. He was also in the first football, but he was a larrikin at school. You know, nothing changed. I think he was suspended two or three times. I think the only reason he, he ended up staying at the school was because they couldn't afford to lose their best uh, cricketer. Um, but, you know, the, the same things. He was kind of loved and um, and frustrated, you know, found to be frustrating in, in almost equal measure. Um, bizarrely, the, the last time I saw Shane Warne was um, we, we had a uh, deputy headmaster at school whose name was Tony Drynan, and he was really, you know, everyone loved Tony. And he was refing a, a game of basketball, and um, Tony was in his late 40s and, and died suddenly without any warning. And every year, Mento and Grandma hold a memorial event, and, and there's an award for a significant old Mentonian and and both Shane and I have been recipients of that award and we were sitting next to each other at a at a dinner table for that function about seven years ago um, and Shane got up and gave a talk and then left to to pick up some McDonald's and take it home to his kids um, but that was the last time I saw Shane Warne but it, it is a statement you know to the person and there's so many anecdotes like this but He's, he's a man of the world stage and yet he's back at his old school, um, you know, giving a talk about one of his, one of his, one of the teachers he admired. So he was always giving back locally and, and internationally. Uh, probably a question for both of you from a professional standpoint um, and from a cardiology standpoint, what, what kind of, what was going through your mind when you, when you did hear the news and did start to read um, some of the press that was coming out about it? Um, Jess, do you, I mean, from, from my perspective, I guess the first thing that comes through every, everyone's mind is what's happened here. And, and the most likely thing statistically, by quite some way, um, is that he's had a heart attack. And what we mean by heart attack is a blockage of one of the arteries to the heart. When that occurs, there's a lack of blood flow um, in, in some people that um, causes the heart to go into a very fast, unstable heart rhythm and cause a cardiac arrest. Um, and that, that happens to middle-aged males all too often. And that's by far the most likely thing. As we know, we don't know exactly the cause and, and there are other possibilities. Um, it could be that there was something else wrong with, with Shane Warne's heart. 
Um, it is possible that it's not related to his heart. Sometimes, you know, in a, when we see people who have had an arrest or where they've died suddenly, about 40% of the time it's actually due to a stroke or, or, or a, a, you know, a, not saying this is the case in chain, but a drug overdose. We've got a big registry of, of cases where we work with Ambulance Victoria looking at arrest cases. And 40% of the time when we think it's the heart, it's actually not. But certainly the very most likely thing in Shane Warne is that he had a heart attack from a blocked heart vessel and as a result of that had a cardiac arrest due to an unstable and very fast heart rhythm. Jess, uh, from a research perspective, is this, is this part of the screening that you've been doing over the last few years? I think it's really important to point out that there's a, a big difference between screening current athletes at a younger age and then what you might do for people who are more middle-aged over 35. So as Andre was saying, in people aged over 35, coronary artery disease is by far the major cause of, of heart problems that would cause a, a cardiac arrest. Whereas in young people, what you're often looking for is those inherited cardiac conditions that are associated with cardiac, sudden cardiac death, like cardiomyopathies and long QT syndrome and things like that. So to be honest, Cricket Australia's major focus is on the current players and, and making sure they're screened and um, provided with all, all the cardiac advice that they might need should anything be found. We're very lucky that nothing serious has been found to date, um, which we published data showing that a couple of years ago. But I think it's also important to remember that that sort of improved focus on cardiac health and prevention should run throughout the organisation and to a large extent it does at Cricket Australia. In terms of past players, the Australian Cricketers Association does lead a lot of really good programs to help them and, and they still do annual skin checks to look for melanoma because cricketers are known to so much sun exposure during their careers and it's possible that we could even talk about adding some element of cardiac screening uh, for past players as an attachment to that, although obviously the tests and what you would be doing would be a little bit different in that age group. Andre, screening is something that we have talked about before in this podcast. Um, in using Looking at Shane's case, is, is that something that we could have used, uh, the, say a player in 20 years' time will, will be the beneficiary of? Yeah, so Jess pointed out very nicely there is a big difference between the, the young athlete and the middle-aged athlete. And people under the age of 30, the most, the most common causes are things like cardiomyopathy, you know, a big, thick heart due to hypertrophic cardiomyopathy or a, or a saggy heart. And so the ECG is, is able to identify some of these cases. Sometimes we add echocardiogram, et cetera. Um, what we presume to be the cause in Shane Warne is quite different, and that's this blockage of the heart vessels that we don't see on an ECG and we don't see um, with, with an echocardiogram, particularly when it's done with a person just lying there at rest on the bed. So here it would be, just as Jess suggested, a different type of screening process. And the way that we screen um, for people like you know, for the middle-aged person who, who could develop heart disease is by looking for risk factors. So do they smoke? Do they have high blood pressure? What's their cholesterol? Do they have high blood sugars? Um, we'll get to this, but a lot, of, a lot of active people and athletes listening to this will go, no, 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 no. None of those things are me. And, and it, it's interesting that we're seeing a greater proportion of people who are having heart attacks 
um, who don't tick any of those boxes, who, who don't have um, any risk factors. Potentially that's because we've done such a good job, you know, all these campaigns over years um, to stop smoking. We have the lowest smoking rate in the world, um, you know, to, to exercise. We're a pretty active population, all of these things. So we've been very successful and yet this is still the number one killer. So we, um, you know, we're, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of work to be done. But in, I don't want to take away from the message that there still is important screening that can be done and every middle-aged person should see their GP and get their cholesterol checked and their blood pressure because those um, what we call modifiable or treatable or, or those risk factors on which we can intervene, they're, they're really important. It's just that they're not everything. The, so you're saying number one cause of death? Num so in people under the age of 50, we've looked at very closely and it's clearly the number one cause of death. It, it, it exceeds any cancer. In fact, all cancers put together, it's about three times more common than deaths due to motor vehicle accidents. Um, it's so far and away the number one cause of death in men and women. In men, particularly, the risk of having a cardiac arrest is three to five times higher in men than in women. But even in women, under the age of 50, it is the most common cause of death. Do we... Do you ha is there reasons why? Do we like what? What do we know and what don't we know? Um, I don't know. Jess has something to add here, but we don't. We don't really know why. You know, it, it's it's common, um, and part of that has been ascribed to sort of lifestyle things. But it's probably if we had an epigeneticist here, he could probably point to how generation upon generation. Um, there has been these weaknesses in our system, which leads to kind of clogging up of the arteries. Uh, it's not, it's not um, true of all species. I understand that other primates, for example, seldom if ever get coronary artery disease. It's something that's quite specific to humans. Um, and um, I, I don't have a good handle on why that is. Jess, you put um, a fantastic point in the, in the show notes while we're discussing what we're going to talk about today, talking around the Kylie effect on breast cancer. Could this be the warning effect uh, on heart disease? Yeah, that's right. We actually saw what was called the Kylie effect with breast cancer when she was diagnosed in 2005. And we might also see a similar warning effect with heart health. So when Kylie was diagnosed in the six weeks following her diagnosis, there was a 20 times increase in the coverage of breast cancer in the news and the media and a 40% increase in women going to get mammograms who are at risk, according to a study by Professor Simon Chapman, who's a legend in public health. And as a result of that, uh, Simon actually noted that this similar events could be an opportunity for health promotion and that advocates should even develop strategies in advance to make sure the message really gets heard loud and clear. And so there really is the possibility that that this will be an opportunity to really focus on the heart health and the prevention um, message. And a lot of people may have put off going to get a heart health check due to COVID or may not realise that it's specifically funded now under Medicare for people aged, I think it's 45 and up, and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders aged 30 and up. You can now go and get those checks with their GP and it's covered by Medicare. And is that is that the message? Go get checked? 
I think specifically for anybody who's got a concerning symptom or a, or a family history, that's a really important thing to do. Uh, I, I think the message is in certain age groups that it is always a good idea to go and get those factors checked. And if they're normal and nothing's wrong, then then nothing's lost. And it's just that, that time to focus on heart health and the prevention message. Uh, Andre might have more to say about who specifically should be going, but... Uh, I think that the comment Jess makes about symptoms is absolutely key as well. It's hard to know in retrospect, there have been reports that Shane Warne experienced some chest pain before his, um, before his arrest. But whereas some of my earlier comments that we're not perfect at um, predicting who's going to develop heart disease, what we're very good at is um, diagnosing or excluding heart disease in people with symptoms. We have good blood tests, ECG and various imaging techniques so that if someone presents with chest pain, we can very accurately tell them whether that's due to a narrowing of the blood vessel that may then go on to cause a heart attack. So one of the messages, in addition to that kind of screening concept of checking your cholesterol, there's a couple of really key messages. One is if you have any sort of um, symptoms that may be heart disease. And I'll probably go into that in a little bit of detail because it's worth stating. But any feeling of, of a pressure in the chest, especially radiating down the arm or into the jaw, um, but not necessarily the classic symptoms. So any sort of feeling of, of sudden fatigue or like you just lost a cylinder when you're exercising, any um, discomfort in the stomach. Sometimes people confuse chest pain with, or not confused, but it feels like um, stomach pain or even indigestion, particularly if those sort of symptoms are occurring with physical exertion, because that's when the heart needs more blood. And if it's not getting more blood due to a, due to a blockage in the pipes, um, then that, that's angina. And we can, we can work that out pretty closely. And, and if we identify that early, we, we can and do prevent heart attacks. So there's kind of the got symptoms, get it checked out now. Then the other message of, of addressing risk factors at which we're moderately successful at being able to anticipate people who might get heart disease and, and a heart attack. And, and the third thing you know, that we should never forget is the importance of, of resusc CPR, resuscitation, um, Again, you've got to be very careful, not, not a blame game, because I'm sure that everything was and could have been done for Shane Warne, and it's, and it's not always going to work. But we, we, there really needs to be an emphasis on education and use of CPR and, and um, resuscitation, life-saving techniques. All of those things together can start to attack you know, this big problem, which is the number one killer. It's been um, mentioned in the media many, many times now that he was seeing a heart specialist or seeing a doctor prior to his death. Would they be running those kind of tests that you just mentioned? Yeah, they, they would have been. It's hard to anticipate. I'm not sure if he had had chest pain then um, and that had been reported to a doctor, then I suspect his issue would have been picked up. Um had he seen a doctor, you know, in a way, I'm glad it wasn't me, for example, had I seen him two weeks before um, and he didn't have chest pain and I'd measured his blood pressure and his cholesterol and everything, 
they would have been important things to do. I'm not sure that that would have prevented him having a heart attack. Yeah. Jess, when you look at um, Cricket Australia, they've tragically got a, a bad track record of the, uh, these um, male athletes in particular having heart attacks. Is is that a concern to you? Or what what, what do you think about when you see that, that list, um, list of players that have uh, unfortunately passed from this kind of disease? I think it's really important to understand that athletes overall do have a lower um, rate of premature death. And so we've seen that in Olympians and cyclists and a number of other things. We've actually got preliminary data from AFL players, which we're working on at the moment, showing that they also um, tend to live longer than, than average. We don't have that data on cricketers, and that's something we will look at. So while there have been a few in the last 18 months, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a huge cause for concern more generally but I do think it's time to look at the things we can do for prevention and checks and and look at those steps we can take for cardiac emergency planning and defibrillators and all those steps that we can do I think that's a really important message do they, do they fit into your current research Andre and what what, what work you're doing at the Baker uh, broadly, yes, there's a lot of work being done at the Baker on, um, and we'll get to that, but some of the on-the-horizon cardiac screening tests like coronary calcium score and polygenic risk scores, we, like most cardiac institutes, would love to be able to more accurately um, identify people in the weeks, months or years before they have a heart attack you know, switching from average statistics to truly individualised medicine. So that is part of our um, our research remit. We also, as, as we've talked about on this podcast, study a lot of um, young elite endurance athletes. Um, and this is a bit different to that. And But I, I think Jess makes such an important point that um, there's a celebrity bias here and there'll be people who have seen the news about Shane Warne and, and they've lost a father, a brother, a, a, you know, a friend, and they'll think, you know, why, why didn't Bill get the same attention or it is. And, and I think that the little run of, you know, with Rod Marsh and Dean Jones and, and Darren Lehman at, at, at Cricket Australia, there is just an element of chance about that. You know, it's a common condition. It's going to commonly happen. And this just happens to have clustered around some celebrities within cricket. Um, but we really shouldn't lose focus of the fact that this is actually, you know, so in, in Victoria, um, we have very clear statistics over the last three years and over 500 people every year under the age of 50 die of a cardiac arrest. And so that's about 2,000 Australians every year. You know, this this is not uncommon. Wow. It's, well, yeah. You've said it many times before, Andre, but every time that you drop these kind of statistics around the sheer numbers, it's, yeah, it's pretty heavy hitting. Um, am I saying this right? Cascade, Jess, a group that you're <laughs> a member of? Do you say it in full or do you say it as uh, letters? Uh, we usually say cascade because in, in sport and especially in cardiology, you've got to have an acronym for everything. So we yeah. came up with that one because it's um, the Cricket Australia Sports Cardiology Expert Advisory Panel. And we couldn't quite get the last few letters in. So we just went with cascade, which we thought everyone would remember. Um, so that's the panel basically we put together to make the screening program as really good as we possibly could in cricket. We're really proud of 
really trying to do a best practice model in every aspect of screening, uh, and not just screening, but raising the profile of cardiovascular health and emergency preparation throughout the organisation, which has been a big thing um, in a number of ways. And also speaking of celebrity incidents, obviously the Phil Hughes incident, while not cardiac, did remind everyone of the importance of having absolutely planned everything you possibly can for if and when an emergency does happen. Uh, and so along with that, we put together the most expert panel. It's a multidisciplinary panel, uh, which has got sports physicians uh, and sports cardiologists. Uh, it's obviously got best sports cardiologists in Australia with Andre, uh, Professor Christian Sari, and also uh, Associate Professor Harry Raju and Associate Professor Raj Karinik, who are uh, amazing, not just in providing advice for getting a really uh, evidence-based policy, but also in helping us go through any uh, borderline screening results or following up anyone who needs follow-up or getting attention for anyone who's got a symptom. And as I say, there's a much bigger focus on cardiac health throughout the organisation. A lot of the doctors carry smartphone ECGs now, which have been really good in documenting transient exercise-induced arrhythmias. And there's been a few cases where that's been really helpful to be able to capture a heart rhythm that we haven't been able to get any other way. So having that, what we call uh, sports cardiology infrastructure, really on board and also the benefit of multiple opinions. So if something looks to be uh, a little bit more difficult, having uh, the consensus and, and the ability to run that past a few people in a timely fashion is absolutely critical. So it's something we're really proud of at Cricket. And um, you can actually see that, that shirt sitting behind Andre, that's the number of ECGs he reviewed for one of our studies. And so uh, that's one of the nice <laughs> things we did as, as part of the cardiac audit. We um, went through every current player's ECG and, and just, looked at all the features of athletes and double-checked through everything. So, yeah, it's one of the legacies. How, do, um, Andre, working, like we've talked about this before on the podcast, as to how important that decision is um, for a cardiologist or a group of cardiologists in this case to make because for an athlete, it's their livelihood, it's their career, it's their future. Um, and for a lot of them too, it's what they've lived and worked for for so long. How How does this kind of infrastructure compare to other sports and other groups that you're working with and have you got it down to a, a pretty fine art now? I, I don't know a fine art. I think that that's, <laughs> it's such a complex thing. It's hard to call it a fine art, but what I would say without a, without a, and I've said this many times before is that cricket, cricket Australia is actually the gold standard in terms of setting out policies, anticipating things that could happen and having processes that, that, that are robust you know, the screening is a good example. There's, there, there is still controversy as to whether screening, you know, how big, if any, the benefits of screening are. But what is in no doubt is that if you are going to do screening, it needs to be done well. And, and Cricket Australia recognised that. They put together a panel, a process, a way of discussing ECGs that are ambiguous and, and you know, any case that comes up that... that um, requires multiple heads, then then we all either by email or in person discuss those cases because there are big things at stake. It, it really is the, uh, you know, I've involved in several other sports that I perhaps won't mention because they they don't do as well as, as Cricket Australia. Um, and it, it is, in some ways, it's ironic that we are talking about these cases within cricket because it's it's just bad luck because the, it is an organisation that's taken this more seriously than 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 others and really done a done a very good job. Mm. From a 
larger population perspective when thinking about Australian sports fans um, have come from a predominantly male um, audience, although that is changing and growing um, over the last couple of years in particular. Jess, what what kind of op- is this a massive opportunity for Cricket Australia to, I guess, take take a lead from Shane's perspective, but also just due to the fact that they would they, they'd have an audience that really fits that um, middle aged man demographic. Yeah, I think it's a great opportunity for cricket to really push that prevention message. Um, obviously, in a way that's sensitive to what's going on, and and not pretending that we can accurately predict and prevent every single incident uh, but within that I think that would be a really a really nice thing to come from such a tragedy is really um, bringing to the fore that prevention message and perhaps amongst the group who do think that they're a bit bulletproof and, and perhaps haven't gone to see their doctor for a long time in some cases so I think I think that that would be a message that they certainly could run and perhaps it's something we could work with the Australian Cricketers Association as well uh, to reach out to some of the other past players. I know that Darren Lehman's actually done a lot for the Heart Foundation um, following his cardiac arrest, I think, and, and sort of pushing the anti-smoking message and pro-exercise, which has been really helpful. Yeah. There, what's next for your research now? Is it more screening? Like where, what, where do you hope to get to in, I guess, the shorter term and then also the longer term? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, we're looking at a, a couple of things at the moment, looking at um, different trends in ECG measures for people who are screened more than once, and also looking at some of the underrepresented populations in the guidelines to see if we might be able to make the uh, ECG interpretation guidelines a little bit more accurate for different populations, such as female athletes and athletes of various ethnicities. But in the bigger picture, we're hoping to build uh, an Australian registry of screening ECGs of athletes to really get the numbers together to look in more detail at, at these screening ECGs. There's thousands of them out there. We've sort of already got a bit of a pilot database and we're working with the Australian Institute of Sport and the other sports to see if we can really build that up. Andre, for your research, what's, what's going on in this space currently? Um, so in this space, probably because I, I think it's really important to take the opportunity to discuss because what will come out of the, the um, out of this uh, tragedy is also a discussion about the role of CT scanning and coronary artery calcium score um, assessments because every every time that there has been a tragedy like this, um, within days people come out and say if. If Shane Warne, if we use the example, if Shane Warne had had a CT scan, then this wouldn't have happened. And what that refers to is that you can do a um, CT scan with contrast and it looks at whether there's any narrowings in the heart vessels. Or more commonly, we can do what's called a coronary artery calcium score, which is a low dose CT scan. We put people in the scanner and see whether there's any bits of calcium, which is like bone, which which tends to develop at least to some degree whenever there is um, uh, inflammation or, or gunk within the heart arteries. So the, the, there's sort of a degree of pretty simple logic there, which is go get a scan, see if you've got heart disease and then do something about it. Um, and it, it does, it's an easy message to sell, but if, if we can, I'm just gonna go into that in a bit more detail. And I'm gonna use the example of Shane Warne because had Shane Warne or indeed myself, you know, anyone around the age of 50, gone, go, if, if you were to go and get a coronary artery calcium score 
then there's about a 40% chance that you will have some degree of coronary calcification. As we get older, it's more and more likely. So, you know, by, by late middle age, half of the population have evidence of coronary disease. So what do you do when you've got that? And the answer for most cardiologists would be that you start a statin medication. But if you say, like myself, I've had my blood pressure checked, my blood pressure's low normal, I've had my cholesterol done and it's in the middle of the normal range, my estimated risk of having a, having a coronary event over the next 10 years is, is about 4%. If I did a coronary calcium score and it was, let's say, 200, moderately elevated, then that would increase my statistical risk over 10 years of so that it'd be about 6%. And then what can I do about it? Well, I can't treat my blood pressure. It's already good. Um, I can't do more. I do enough exercise. So I'd take a statin medication and that'd reduce my risk from around 6% over 10 years to about 4.5, 4.8% over 10 years. So it's a pretty small bang for buck. And a lot of us would say that um, that a sort of broad-based policy of putting everyone through a scanner to find out 40, 50% of people have disease and then try to do something about it. As you can see, it's not exactly sort of targeted therapy and it's not a magic panacea. I think that there is a place um, for, for coronary artery calcium scores and CT scans, but it, it really is a discussion that people must have with their doctor because I see people after they've had a scan and then they come along and say, ah, I've got coronary disease. I'm going to have a heart attack. What do I do about it? And then you go through it all and say, look, firstly, half the population have that and not everyone has a heart attack. You know, most people with coronary disease, in fact, don't have a heart attack. And so it's a matter of, of stratifying. And one of the, from a, from a sports perspective, and many of the listeners will be athletes, one of the real, really problematic consequences is that people have a coronary artery calcium score or a CT scan, find out they have coronary disease and their doctor says, stop exercising. <laughs> that is the worst thing you can do. We know there's very clear data that the fitter you are, the lower, as, as Jess pointed out earlier, the fitter you are, the lower the chance of coronary events, whether or not you have coronary disease. And in fact, if anything, more so when you have coronary disease. So, you know, I just find that some athletes go and have this test as if it's going to be a crystal ball and then not only don't know what to do with the results, but causes them a whole lot of stress and concern. So it, it can be a good test. It can help us target preventive therapies, but think about whether you're gonna, what you're going to do with the result. And I can tell you, as an example, I know all of that information. I have done all of the basic sort of testing, and I've not ha had a coronary artery calcium score because I don't believe the result would change what I do. So, you know, in a nutshell, when people come out, and they will, and say that every middle-aged person should have a CT scan. Just stop and think and learn about it before uh, before necessarily taking on that medical opinion. Sometimes from people with vested interests. But what is these doctors? Yeah, who? yeah. There will be there will be doctors. There will be cardiologists that will come out and and um, and say that everyone should have a CT scan. And I'm not saying that they're that they're 
that they're misguided or that they're deliberately saying the wrong thing. There's a lot of opinion about this. But where I do get a little bit frustrated is when it gets painted as black and white and it is far from black and white. Mm -hmm. Jesse, finding similar challenges with your the work that you're doing in terms of that there is no A plus B equals C. There's no exact formula. Look, it is a bit different in, in athletes. I think one of the things you always need to be mindful of is the indeterminate result and the anxiety that that can cause. And so one of the things that's improved an awful lot in, in younger athletes sort of at the competitive level between, I guess, 16 and 30 is the athlete in ECG interpretation guidelines have got a lot more accurate. So there are far fewer findings now that are regarded as being abnormal and that definitely need follow-up. So there's a lot more things that the data have shown are just normal in athletes and don't need to be worried about. And I think that's a really important part of the picture in the last 10 years. And so I think there's probably a little bit more refinements that could be made and especially for certain smaller subpopulations as well. But um, I think we're always looking to do a better job. One of the things you can do to reduce anxiety is counsel people properly before they have a test and also get them the result and a proper uh, expert interpretation of it as soon as possible after the test. I think uh, one of my colleagues, Asif, in the US gave a great presentation a few years ago about the anxiety impact and shortening that time before people hear the proper result and what it means for them is one of the best things you can do. So uh, those things are a really important part of the picture, I think. Another piece that the media has picked up on a lot is this reporting of a 14 day juice cleanse that Shane was went on prior to his heart attack is, is there, well, first let's talk about the role of diet and then also using that example. Does that, does that play any, any role in uh, what eventually happened? Yeah. So any extremes, do put more pressure on on the heart if you like it often creates more adrenaline cortisol and increases the risk of having a heart attack you know extreme heat um, extreme exercise extreme dietary changes um, they all increase the chances of having a heart attack whilst it's happening um, you know it's hard to it's hard to explain this completely but when I just said extreme exercise, so there's this exercise paradox where if you do regular exercise, it decreases the risk of a heart attack. But any single one bout of exercise is a time when you are more likely to have a heart attack. And the take-home message for that is exercise in a progressive, graduated way rather than extreme sort of bouts out of the blue. Um, but sure, the, the diet, the sort of shredding, these things could um, have been contributed to the circumstance in which Shane Warne had, had a heart attack. But what I would also say is that every single time something like this happens, everyone clutches at a reason. You know, whether it's right, whether it's wrong, often we don't know. You know, he only ate margarita pizzas or, or whatever reason people want um, to, to kind of cling to because the reality is is that myself as a 48-year-old male could have the same thing happen tomorrow. And if I can find a reason that is different between Shane and I, then I feel somehow more comfortable in my mind that that's not going to happen. 
So everyone will clutch at straws and try to find something that they can put their finger on and say, ah, that's why it happened and that's why it won't happen to me. You kind of have to get past that and say, you know what, this could happen to me. These are the things that I can do to prevent it. I'm going to be aware of the symptoms. I'm going to get myself checked out. I'm going to teach my kids to do CPR. And what's that saying? If you prepare for something, it doesn't happen. <laughs> like um, I, I, there, there is a wake-up call for, for all of us. You know, here it's about middle-aged males, but in reality, it's, it's everyone. This is a common problem. Um, kids should be taught to be done C, to be uh, do CPR at school, and and you know, this should be part of the discussion about people's healthfulness. So I think that's the message, rather than searching for whatever dietary aid he may or may not have been taking. I reckon that's square, fair and square, missing the point. Andre, have you got any final questions for Jess before I might get you just to wrap up with some uh, summary points on what, what individuals can do for themselves? Uh, I don't think so. I don't have any specific questions. I think some of Jess's insights or all of Jess's insights have been absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah, don't, I don't have anything particularly to, to add. So to wrap, to wrap up, um, Andre, just uh, for people that are listening, what, what do they need to be aware of and what can they do? So I think be aware of symptoms, be aware of the risk factors, and that can be a discussion with your GP. Although we're talking to a sort of, I, I suspect many of the people in the audience will be people who do look after their diet and, and exercise and things, um, it, it certainly is a reminder that lifestyle factors are part of the picture. But probably for this audience, the reminder that no one has a full insurance policy and you can do all the right things and you can suddenly get chest pain and please do not think I'm too fit to have a heart attack. That is, that is absolutely wrong. And, and I see, I see athletes who present late, way too late because they were there thinking can't be a heart attack. I'm, I'm the fittest person on the block. And that, that doesn't apply. They're less likely, but certainly not unlikely. Jess, thank you very much for your time. From everything I've heard from Andre and yourself, Cricket Australia seems like they're very fortunate to have you and have been able to build a fantastic structure for their athletes moving forward. So uh, congratulations on what you've achieved and thank you very much for finding time to come on the podcast. Thanks so much, Alex. Pleasure to be here. Thanks, Jess. Thanks, Alex.